0: Merry Christmas. Excellent. The day after the big Northern California earthquake. The San Francisco Bay Area, the digging out continues, and so does the counting of the dead. Coming up a little
1: later on on CNN Sports Tonight, we'll have the announcement of Pete Rose being banned from baseball for life.
0: The wall that the East Germans put up in 1961 to keep its people in will now be breached by anybody, one who wants to leave. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak.
2: It's rad, it's gnarly, it's the Decibel Geek Podcast, and we're back once again. I'm Aaron Camaro, joined as always by Chris Sinzak, and man, have we gotten an awesome response to 1989 Year in Review Part 1. Yeah, people were thirsty for stuff from 25 years ago. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. We really got to see you know, what it was like in a year when hard rock and heavy metal truly was king. When these bands that we talk about every single week here 25 years later 25. were at the top of the charts. Makes me feel so old to know it's been that long. I know it's it's crazy, but it's a good refresher to go back and see all the cool stuff that was yeah, going on and, in 1989. And
1: part one, you know, we had we played a ton of really good music, and but and and that was daunting enough picking our picks for that. Yeah. And then we look at the second half of the year, and my God, I it's, mean,
2: it's the second half of 1989 might be the second, if you broke down every year by half, maybe one of the best years ever, ever for yeah. music.
1: Yeah, for for the stuff we're into in and yeah. what you guys like, it's uh, we'll get into it. We got have a lot to get to. Um, on that note, since we have a lot to get to, I'm gonna have to forego Geeks of the Week this week. We just Aww. we just have too much on our plate this <laughs> week. So I, yes, I'm an asshole. Send an email to geek at gmail dot com and say you're an asshole for not saying my name. Merry if, Christmas. If you shared and retweeted. <laughs> the link from last week's show i really appreciate it we all do
2: yeah
3: we do
1: and i will read geeks of the week off next week which we'll go and tell you next week will be our best of 2014 episode
2: that's a hard one too
1: it will but and um i'm going to read all of your names off that share and retweet i promise guys we both have families we both have christmas coming up you yeah, know how it is So, um, but yeah, so we, uh, we, he
2: always does. He always does. I make up for it. He he does make up for it every time. He's he's good for it. Yeah. So, um, I guess we start out right where we picked off. We went through half of the year last time and we, that brings us up to July. So Chris, what are some of the, the compelling, the important news stories kicking us off at the beginning of the midway point through 1989?
1: Well, July starts off interesting. Um, Ju- <laughs> July 4th, 14 year old at the time, actress Drew Barrymore attempted
2: suicide. Riveting. And-
1: I remember that was a big deal in the press. It was a well, her whole was,
2: story. She was well, she was such a big child star, right? And a lot of around that time, I think a lot of it was a it was a thing for child stars from the seventies and the early eighties to mm-hmm. be having downfalls and problems. When and, the drugs kick and, in, and, right? Yeah, you know, and and Drew Barrymore was definitely one of them.
1: And then another uh, on the next day on July fifth. Rod Stewart hits his head while on stage and knocks himself out.
2: What did he hit himself in the head with? I don't know.
1: <laughs> I assume they took him to the hospital, and you know, maybe that's where the whole stomach-pumping story yeah, came from. Yeah, he I hit himself know.
2: in the head with something, and then he had to get his stomach pumped. And What a wuss. David Lee Roth damn near cut his head in half with a sword and still finished the show that time. True. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Not a big fan of Rod's stuff from this era. I'll take the faces era much and Jeff Beck group any day over this.
2: Yeah, Rod Stewart is just too weird. No Rod
1: Stewart music on today's show.
0: (laughs) I know. Never the the two
1: of you that were hoping for it. Sorry. Um, All right, so
2: let's get into the music. I mean, because like we said, there's so many great albums that came out in 1989, and that's the that's how we do it around here when we do these year in reviews. So, what's the first big album that comes out this year that this part of the year that we can look forward to today?
1: Well, to me. On July 25th, Alice Cooper puts out the Trash album, and Alice Cooper was on. This was he started his comeback a couple of years before this, around '86, with Constrictor and the Nightmare Returns tour.
2: Yeah, but it'd been a little while,
1: and he did, and then he did Raise Your Fist and Yell, and they had moderate success. But when he put this album out, it really touched a nerve with people, and it really blew up. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly, but the biggest reason for that would be the single Poison that came out it was a huge hit. <laughs> It was his first top ten single since uh, You and Me from Lace and Whiskey in 1977, a much different song. Wow. And, uh, and, they, and Lace and Whiskey, if you ask any Alice fan, just about all of them will tell you they hate the album. I personally like it, but it's not. If you're looking for hard-rocking stuff, Lace and Whiskey is not where you want to go. But this album is, because there's a lot of good stuff on this album. Um, this al- He pulled out the big guns on this album. He had guest performances, including John Bon Jovi, Steve Bader, Steven Tyler, as well as um, Kane Roberts, who, coming back to work on this album, he had left the band in 88. And songwriting contributions from Joan Jett, Diane Warren, John Bon Jovi, and Richie Sambora.
2: See, how can you go wrong with that in 1989?
1: And this song, the one that I picked, uh, is co-written by Desmond Child and features a guy that we'll talk about in just a few minutes named Guy Man Dude playing the guitar parts. This is Spark in the Dark. would go on to sell just I think a multiple millions of copies
2: yeah I think it was around this time that Alice Cooper kind of realized how well his persona and his style lends itself to the just kind of straightforward rock that's really popular at the time
1: yeah it's funny though because like a lot of people you know including me because I wasn't a big Alice fan growing up I didn't know much about him and I didn't really pay attention to the music I guess he was before my time but like he all of a sudden trash hits big and then people are like paying attention to Alice Cooper. And I think they started thinking, well, his old stuff must sound like this too, right? But not, but it old, doesn't. It does, Mo- most no. of the old stuff is not what you would consider heavy, st- heavy metal at all. It's no. more hard rock at most at times, but more theatrical than anything else,
2: right? And this featured a lot more, you know, in your face drums, heavy bass, yeah, and you know, shredding guitars.
1: And yeah, he, uh, he always had good players in Alice to well, this yeah, day. Right? Has, he's Alice Cooper to this day? Ha- he he's excellent at picking musicians for his band sure
2: and and you know he's only going to take the best of the best and had all those stellar appearances from all those, some, all those top names of the day
1: yeah and he would go on to do the hey stupid album after this one and it was yeah it was a pretty damn impressive comeback for for somebody had been around as long as he had
2: yeah his like i said that persona of alice cooper really yeah. resonated in this time you yeah know? especially being the video age and him being such a such a, a visual, visual character yeah.
1: Yeah, it's weird. It worked for him, but not so much for Kiss in the early 80s, you know. No. Uh-uh. But uh, all right, so uh, before I get to the next song, July 9th, all four original members of the Monkees reunite in L.A. for a concert, and then the following day they are inducted into the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I just wanted to mention this because those, cool. those of us that remember the late 80s, there was a real like resurgence of the monkeys. It was for sure. I mean Nick Nickelodeon started showing the old TV yeah. show
2: and kids just loved it. Oh man, I remember being a kid and watching reruns of the monkeys and it was the same yep. T V shows that my mom watched yep. when she was a teenager and they were hilarious and I loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was such a great put together show. Yeah. That, you know, even if you weren't a fan of the music, it was still an entertaining T V show. But you know what? Even the monkeys had some damn good
1: songs they, they wrote they did and it actually if, uh, to mention our good friend Ken Mills who hosts a uh, Monkey's podcast yes folks there is a Monkey's <laughs> podcast called Zilch and uh it's nice. by all accounts people that are big fans of the monkeys just love it and it's doing really so. well so uh, yeah check that i think it's on the podcast.com website So yeah, Ken, keep up the good work. You're hosting more shows than I could ever dream of, and I don't know how you're doing it, (laughs) but uh, just wanted to give him a shout out. Um, As I mentioned before, uh, Guy Man Dude played guitar on that Spark in the Dark song.
2: I think I remember Guy Man Dude. Wasn't he the dude with the the tall blonde hair Mm -hmm. with the fancy guitar, like the Flying V was in all the rock magazines. You could buy his VHS and learn how to shred.
1: I don't know if he was the guy with the learned guitar. I think that was Doug Marks that was Uh, the learn to play guitar guy, but... Guy Man Dude, um, he was born Guy Schiffman, and um, before he got into heavy metal, he was a professional drummer for 10 years. Oh, wow. And he toured with the lead singer of Yes, John Anderson, for the animation tour. You'd never expect him to tour with a member of Yes because it's a right. progressive band. Um, he uh, And he was also part of the heavy metal supergroup The Dudes of Wrath, along with Paul Stanley and Tommy Lee, who were assembled to record... a a song called shocker from the movie shocker yeah right on he's he's part of that group too that's right but guy man dude made it his name into a band basically just like alice cooper sure and uh formed they formed in la in 88 he was also um another guitar player that played along with michael angelo badio
2: okay sure the guy with guitar with a million necks right
1: and you know known for overplaying yeah and uh, shreds too This video came, this song came out and uh, let's just say you've never heard a Rolling Stones cover like this one. Just like yes, right? Oh yeah, and the and the Stones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> guy, man, dude. I remember. I have, I have specific memories of when this came out in '89 because I would come home from school and around three o'clock in the afternoon, MTV would show a, have a show called Hard Thirty. Yeah. And it was thirty minutes of heavy metal videos, and the video for this song was always on, and I was really into all the shredding guitar players back in this at this time and that just was right up my alley and the video is freaking hilarious it's filmed as cheaply as possible and it's filmed all along the sunset strip and they have like a like there's a part where he's on a skateboard playing his guitar behind his head and shit (laughs) and it's like stop motion animation so it's like moving really really fast it's just fun and then there's also a a a eloquent song on the album also called uh, clusterfuck Oh, nice. uh, The album's called "Slide of Hand, so that's Guy, Man, Dude. Right
2: on. (laughs) All right. Also, I guess that brings us up to August, and uh, on the 11th and 12th was probably, I would say, the biggest rock event of 1989. Yeah, I'd say that's fair to say. I'm talking about the Moscow Music Peace Festival held in the Soviet Union. First event of its kind put together by Doc McGee and the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And the headlining acts pretty much a list of who's who in hard rock and heavy metal in 1989. Headlined by, I mean, the kings of it all, the pop rock sensation Bon Gorky Jovi. Park. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, Gorky Park was there, too. Uh, the Prince of Darkness, Ozzy Osbourne, Motley Crue, Skid Row, Cinderella, And the Scorpions. Yep. Yeah. What a lineup.
1: Yeah, their stories about this show are are pretty interesting. Yeah,
2: Yeah. you know (laughs) how that all comes together. It was supposed to be for a a drug-free cause, and, and, you know, they came out with the soundtrack, and everybody there was supposed to be clean and sober while they were there, and... Well, you I know. think
1: Molly Crew was the only band that was clean and sober on that whole trip.
2: But when they got there and found out that everybody else was partying, they were pissed.
1: Well, yeah, they were. <laughs> and like, you guys should have to suffer along with the rest of us. <laughs> that That's and it was funny. also the whole show was put on basically as a Doc McGee's Get Out of Jail Free concert.
2: Right. Because it was yeah. community
1: service okay uh so yeah what do you got next all right
2: that brings us up to my next pick this is a band that you know we've talked about quite a bit here on the decibel geek podcast one of my favorite all-time bands and uh, at this point although enough's enough's been playing all the coolest parties in Chicago since 1984 they released their debut album in 1989. Derek Shulman was the name of a record executive back then. He signed Enough's Enough to Atco Records, and he made the band a pretty high priority in 89 after he'd worked his way up to president and CEO. Mm -hmm. So he signs the band and works his way up. He's the guy that's known for discovering Bon Jovi and Cinderella as well. Really? So this was a guy that was out there looking for the next big thing. I think what he was looking for was the next Poison. Well, judging by the image they had at the and time, that, yeah, that looked like it. Yeah, related. and it's almost like one of them things. It's like, well, we got this band. They're really, really great. Do they look like Poison? No. Yeah. Can we make them look like Poison? Well, I, I guess we could. So they okay, didn't great. have that look you know? before that. No, not no. really. You know, they were more, I don't know, to look at them, they were more Cheap Trick, you know, influenced, right. you know, and these guys were from Chicago. They weren't from the Sunset Strip, you know. their Their style, you know, you listen to that and you listen to this album and all their other stuff. Doesn't really fit in next to you know some of the their contemporaries of the time, right. you know some of the the straight, but the the image, you know, it was the image that did them in,
3: right. you
2: know, and again this is, they had such a unique sound, you know, it just mm-hmm. didn't really fit in with what was going on at the time, but with the with the look, you know, and and the timing, you need know, to think about enough enough their debut albums coming out at this time, yeah, the same year Nirvana's coming out with their debut album, and to look like Who? that. You know, wow. it it just can't work, you know, not not in not in the way things are going to go, but this is a great album, you know, a fantastic debut, features the classic lineup of Vic Fox on drums, Derek Frigo on lead guitar, Chips Enough on bass, and of course, Donnie V on vocals. It goes to number 74 on the U.S. Billboard album charts, the singles Fly High Michelle. That one's pretty well yeah, known. New uh, thing. Gets up to 47, new thing, goes up to 27 on the rock charts, and... uh like many from part one, this is the highest-charting album elf, uh, that Enoughs Enough would ever release. It's a damn shame. Yeah, it's a damn shame. Great band. They just got—they were mismarketed yeah. at the time. I think they could have been huge.
1: Well, speaking of uh, another big shame in 1989, August 24th, Pete Rose is suspended from baseball for life. For oh,
2: Uncle Pete! That sucked. And it was it, 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 so. What was he doing? Betting on his own games? Yes. So he was the coach. Yeah, and he was betting on his betting on the reds. Yeah, so that's funny because you know on one half you'd say my team is so good. Yeah, I'm betting. I want to bet on. Well,
1: he bet on on other games too.
2: Yeah, but then on the other hand, you could say, well, I could you know throw a monkey wrench in this and really help myself win some big money. You know, I mean, shouldn't gamble? Did he not like that?
1: Did he do the wrong thing? Yes.
2: Yeah, but.
1: I don't know, but then you got these guys juicing up on steroids and shit. Sure. It's like it, what he did kind of seems to pale in comparison by today's standards.
2: Right, and I think it was just such a big news story at the time because I mean it's Pete Rose oh, it was we're a talking huge about. Huge news story. Pete Rose, he's still not in the baseball hall no, of fame and still banned from baseball. Yeah. yeah,
1: he hasn't done himself any favors either though. No, so well. he's Pete Rose is not an easy person to like because he doesn't make himself easy to like. But if you're just going based on what the man did as a player on the field, it's undeniable.
2: Undeniable. One
1: of the greatest baseball players. And we talked sports last week. I'm going to shut up.
2: At least he's in the WWE Hall of Fame. Is he? Oh, yeah, he is. I had no He's idea. contributed a lot to professional wrestling over the years. Well, good. That was a big joke thing at the time was they won't let him into the baseball Hall of Fame. I we'll, I remember we'll that. We'll put him in the WWE Hall of Fame. So
1: he, well, so he's not in sports, but he's in sports entertainment.
2: All right, so you got one coming up of a band from 89 that I've never even heard of. This one uh yeah, I was
1: I was excited to play this. Um I didn't know a ton about this band either, but I've learned more over the last about the last year where I started, you know, researching more of the obscure bands from the 80s. Thank you Billy Hardaway, you've helped turn me onto a lot of these groups. Um this is a band called Lion and um The album that came out was called Trouble in Angel City. It came out on August 11th. It was their third and their final studio album. Um, The band featured Doug Aldrich on guitar, who has played with Whitesnake, Burning Rang Dio, Hurricane, House of Lords, and currently with a really great band called Revolution Saints. I've been checking that out lately. And uh, also had Mark Edwards on drums, who played with Steeler back in the 80s. Wow,
2: kind of an all-star band.
1: Kind of, yeah. And... um, they're best known because they wrote the theme song to the 86 animated Transformers movie. Oh, yeah? That, that's Lion. Oh, that's cool. Um, I hate that that's what they're best known for, but it's true. <laughs> it's still pretty cool. Um, but um, Mark Edwards, uh, in 89, uh, I think it was around September, he suffered a broken neck after falling off a cliff while competing in a motorcycle race. Dang. And uh, the band disbanded a month later, and Cal Swan, the singer, and Doug Aldrich would team up in a band called Bad Moon Rising along with uh, former Hurricane Alice members Jackie Ramos and Ian Mayo. Jerry Bess, who was the bass player, would later uh, reappear with Freak of Nature, Mike Tramp's band that, that okay, came out in the 90s. that's cool. And he also, along with Doug, um, briefly toured in the late 90s with uh, Dio. So there's a lot of pedigree with these guys. Sure. So I um, wanted to play a track from this because it's a good album. It's definitely way overlooked. From Trouble in Angel City, this is Lion with Come On. it's good it's it's funny listening to it now cuz it's like there's this resurgence with all these swedish bands and these european yeah. like kind of power melodic bands They'd fit right That almost sounds fresher as something that would come out today from that era. Kind from of that like a Power the metal world. kind yeah. of a thing. Yeah. Rather than, it almost sounds like futuristic for 1989.
2: That's know? pretty cool. What an overlooked album. I never even heard of it.
1: Yeah. And apparently that album is like really hard to find like a physical copy of it because wow. it was mainly, I think, a Japan import. But I'm sure Billy has
2: it. I'm sure he does. <laughs> All right, and from that, we'll talk about a band that pretty much everybody around here has heard of because, man, we've played the shit out of them over the years. Talking about the L.A. Guns, and, man, they're striking while the iron is hot. And this is a follow-up to their successful 1988 self-titled debut. So after coming off the road playing with bands like ACDC, Iron Maiden, and Def Leppard, Kings of the World in 89, Cocktail Loaded pretty much picks up where they left off with the, with the debut album. It's good, good, heavy stuff. And this is another example of a band with their classic lineup, and God knows they've had more than a few.
1: A few, yeah.
2: You know, Kelly Nichols on bass, Steve Riley on drums, Phil Lewis on vocals, Mick Cripps and Tracy Guns on guitar, and... You know, L.A. Guns was one of those bands, as a kid, you kind of had to be sly about listening to them. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't want your mom to walk in while you were listening to sex, sex action, action and yeah. stuff like that. So, you know, but this one here was their, their biggest album, number 38 on the U.S. Billboard charts, Platinum Sales. I mean, hell, the, the VHS video that accompanies the album went gold. Yeah. You know, the video compilation. They had so many singles off this one, Never Enough, Malaria, I Want to Be Your Man, of course, ballad of jane Jane, that was a huge hit single for him and uh you know this one again the highest charting highest selling album the other la guns would ever release here's another single off of that one as we go into break an awesome song and this is what la guns is all about right here on the decibel geek podcast a little taste for you it's rip and tear (laughs)
0: Chevy Camaro. Remember all the times you told yourself that someday you'd have one. Welcome to someday. The heartbeat of America. Chevy. Chevy. The Decibel Geek Podcast. Lock it in and rip the knob off. What? iPods don't have knobs? Well, lock it in. Nightcourt gets game show fever when Bull breaks the bank for big bucks. You won't believe his bonus. I want to be your love slave. Say, that is good news. And my I two dads can't... hits rock and roll platinum. It's plutonium, baby. And it's hey, hey, hey. the monkeys baby Jones. With Herman's Hermits, Peter Noon. You've got a lovely daughter. I can die. It's two classic rock stars with two classy dads. Oh. My two dads after Nightcourt. Wednesday, only on NBC.
2: right and we're back this is the decibel geek podcast today we look at the world of 1989 through the eyes of rock and roll and we're having a hell of a time doing it chris sinzak with you i'm aaron camaro and right now we're going to talk about some other things going on in 1989 things going on in the world of television
1: yeah um the emmy awards that year outstanding comedy series was cheers
2: yeah awesome show i love cheers
1: and it looks like uh, L.A. Law and the Wonder Years racked up a ton of nominations that year.
2: Yeah, they did. Um, Nicola, if you want to know what's going on in the world of 89, a great place to look is the Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Awards because, you know, we were kids back then, so we should be able to relate to some of this. Appearing on the Kids' Choice Awards in 89, Bobby the Brain Heenan, my hero. <laughs> 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 and performances by the new kids on the block and yeah. Corey Feldman. Oh, boy. What was he performing?
1: I'm sure it had something to do with Michael Jackson.
2: Yeah, maybe. All right. Favorite TV actor of 89, according to Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Awards, Alf. He works hard at his craft. <laughs> favorite t- TV. Now, was it Alf or whoever
1: had his hand up Alf's No, ass?
2: it was it, No, it was Alf. Oh, okay. You're the guy with the hand, he did, never gets any of the credit. Yeah. I guess uh, I mean. Favorite TV actress, Alyssa Milano. Yeah. yeah. Um, favorite TV show, man, the show that's just raping the competition. <laughs> In 1989, number one show of all of them, The Cosby Show. Oh, that's
1: bad. that wasn't a pudding pop.
2: <laughs> favorite movie? Well, you know, The Power of VHS, this one, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, God,
1: I got so sick of that movie. It was good, though. I liked it. It was good, but it got shoved down our throats.
2: Uh, the kid's favorite singer? John Bon Jovi, of course. Of course. It's 1989. Favorite actor? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, it's 1989. That sounds about right um let's see uh classic tv hits.com top 10 highest rated shows of 89 monday night football empty nest the wonder years that mm-hmm. was a great show 60 minutes the golden girls because there must have been back to back you know it's the, the old people <laughs> The old, hour. old person contingent yeah. <laughs> <laughs> america's funniest home videos that was huge in 89 a different world spin off of cosby cheers yeah. as we mentioned roseanne was mentioned and uh uh, Cosby <laughs> the Cosby Show. I never thought we'd
1: be nervous about talking about the Cosby That's Show. That's
2: too funny, man. Who would have ever thought God. that in 1989 when that show was king, number one? TV debuts in 1989, Quantum Leap. Mm -hmm. Man, I'll never forget the episode that was kind of like a parody of Kiss.
1: Yeah, Kiss Science Theater did a whole commentary on that episode. I looked so forward (laughs) to that
2: episode when it showed it the week before and he jumped into the Ace Frehley looking dude and was like, oh boy. I was like, oh yeah, can't wait. That was cool. Uh, Another show I loved, Coach. Mm -hmm. That was a great one. Uh, Tales from the Crypt debuts in 1989. Wait a minute. So that was a busy year for Steve Riley. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it was. All he right. was all over the place. Easy so we, joke. He's got more stuff coming up in 89 to mention <laughs> later on. Um, Rescue 911, Cops, uh-huh. those make debuts. Seinfeld makes his debut in the same year as Saved by the Bell. Who would have guessed that?
1: Classic television.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Life Goes On. Yeah. Who could forget that one? Uh, American Gladiators makes his debut in 89. I remember that show. Doogie Hauser MD. Yeah. That got huge in 89. Who could forget Baywatch?
3: Yeah.
2: Pamela Anderson. Uh Family Matters with Urkel. The Simpsons makes their debut in eighty nine. Still around. Still going. Twenty five years. Yeah, and my favorite animated series, besides Simpsons, of course, G.I. Joe, all American hero. Love that stuff. Now you know. Goodbye in TV, Simon and Simon, Webster, Dynasty, Moonlighting, Family Ties and No. Miami Vice, no, yeah, Miami Vice is gone in 1989. No
1: more intro clip with the girl in the thong.
2: No, it's such a bummer. We'll always have our memories. At least we got Baywatch now. Yeah, new girls and thongs. <laughs>
1: so all right, so we're into September now.
2: Yeah, we're rocking right along. Things are about to really pick up in 1989 as far as albums coming out.
1: Yeah, this, uh, and we've talked about this album. We've played a number of songs off this album. And uh, there's not a whole lot I need to say about this. But it's so. only
2: one of the greatest albums of all time.
1: And this song is, I mean, they put a lot of effort into the lyrics on this one. So this is pure rock and roll poetry.
2: That's what you get when you got Motley Crue firing on all cylinders.
1: That's... like I said, there's there's not a lot of depth of lyrics, but you don't really want it with Motley Crue anyway. No yeah. man, not in that not at that period of time.
2: There wasn't a whole lot of people in my junior high school did that did not have that on either cassette or CD. It was huge and I was everywhere. Recorded at Little Mountain
1: Studios in Vancouver with Bob Rock producing. Love it. it. was kind of he was had the magic touch in that at that time. Was, this was number number one on the Billboard Top two hundred chart.
2: When I think of Motley Crue, I think this is what I imagined was was nineteen eighty nine top of the world you know motley crew owning it and it was six times six
1: times platinum in america it was huge and i and you you always knew when a rock band had broken through when all the chicks were really into them oh yeah it wasn't just the
2: guy like they were probably bigger with girls at that period right because well because of the song without you yeah you know and uh uh, time for change and Same you know whole the, situation right those yeah. songs you know in 89 there was a formula to be followed to find success yeah on mtv and radio airplanes selling t-shirts and selling concert tickets and that's it you know and yep. and motley Crue, man they nailed it they oh, sure they, did. they released it at the right time it's
1: not my favorite motley Crue album but it's it's you, you got to put it right up there. It's up at the top for, for as far as Mission Accomplished. Yeah, like have, The playing's really good, and it's uh, it's filled filled with hooks, you know, the whole thing. Oh,
2: man. Yeah, Mick Mars kills it on this album. I mean, the whole band, are, they're really playing almost at their peak for that lineup, you mm-hmm. know? Of course, in 94, they did a pretty good album, too. Right, yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. When I think of Molly Crew, like, you know, I think things separately with the John Carabi yeah. era stuff. But as far as Molly Crew goes, you know, you got the... The Young Motley Crew and you got the Doctor Feelgood era right. Motley Crew.
1: Okay, so you're you got your pick next.
2: This is without a doubt one of my favorite albums from the late '80s. I mean, you know, Faster Pussycat's been lurking around L.A. since '85, and they released their self-titled debut in '87. They toured with bands like Alice Cooper, David Lee Roth, Motorhead, Motley Crew. You know, those guys are the kings in '89. And Kiss. Oh yeah, I'm talking about Faster Pussycat, uh, featured in The Decline 2. Mm -hmm. Pretty heavily in that movie. Um, And this is a pretty highly anticipated follow-up album to their debut. They moved a lot of units with this one, powered by the single House of Pain. The video was all over MTV. And, you know, here's the thing about Faster Pussycat. they're, They're known for their pretty love ballads about death. Abandonment.
1: Yeah, I was say they're not—they're not really happy songs. Especially House of Banes are really depressing. So. Yeah,
2: you know and that's the thing. They the songs, the ballads by Fast Pussycat were always like pretty to listen to, but when you dove into them, it's like, well, this there's, there's some really dark shit going on in the undercurrent of this song.
3: Right.
2: Wake Me When It's Over is loaded full of hard rocking and tunes, and uh like I said, it's one of my favorite albums of the late '80s. that album so much loved it when it came out still love it now would love to do an albums uh unleash with that one find one. somebody to talk to us about that album i think it's Fast puss cat is easy one of the the most underrated bands to come out of that scene you know because damn they're they're just so good i love Fast puss cat so much <laughs> They kick ass. I was pretty partial
1: to the song Poison Ivy. Yeah, that's I remember, a great song, I remember too. when that got, that came, it didn't, and I remember the first time I saw it on Headbangers Ball, I was like, this is going to be a huge hit, and it yeah. just never took off. No, I mean. But they, it was so damn catchy. They
2: did all right for themselves. Oh, they
1: did. House of Pain was a pretty big hit.
2: Kind of a funny story that I read. I'm going to say allegedly, because I don't know all the facts on this, but allegedly uh, drummer Mark Michaels would be arrested for trying to FedEx himself some heroin, it's
1: true. Is that true? Yeah, I've heard. I've heard interviews with Tammy, and he's he's confirmed it. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So then what they, a knucklehead.
2: So then they get Steve Riley to come in and lay down the rest of the drum tracks for that album. So you know, there's your your third Steve Two Riley reference. Two bands and hosting
1: a television
3: show. That's pretty incredible.
2: <laughs> Good job, Steve. Not bad. Uh, number forty eight on the U.S. Billboard al- album charts. The single "House Paint" is huge. It goes up to twenty eight on the singles charts in the United States. And again, the highest charting, highest selling album from the Fast Pussycat that they'd ever release. Wow. Eighty nine, that was the year. It really that was that that was the year for this stuff.
1: Okay, so September twenty ninth, Zsa, Zsa Gabor is convicted of slapping a police officer in Beverly Hills. Darling. How I rem- dare you I remember when this happened and Put, the, he puts uh, his hands on me! You remember all the all those horrible TV shows like *A Current Affair* and *Hard Copy*? Yes, they were. They went nuts over this. It was like *Jaja* television, twenty-four it was, hours a day. It
2: was sort of the beginning of TMZ. It really
1: was. It was the yeah. That's basically what TMZ sprouted out from, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, it was like and I remember at the time thinking, why do we care what these people do in their own like time?
2: If we have a news T V show that's a news entertainment TV show, we take a stupid story that nobody should care it's about. It's really a stupid can story. Can we can we manipulate it into a way to make it seem like a huge story where everybody cares about it and everybody tunes in to hear about it. Yeah. TMZ are, are that's we, how it sorry, all started. Are
1: we surprised that a privileged Hollywood diva Slapped a police officer It's not really that big a stretch to imagine No,
2: but it was an experiment that proved very fruitful For the producers of those TV shows That were did. treating that as I if it was a re- huge news story I still
1: remember it today
2: I do too, it was a big <laughs> deal Why? I have I no idea know. Okay, so Crazy.
1: Staying in September uh, Another album that was recorded at Little Mountain Studios in Vancouver But not with Bob Rock This one was recorded with Bruce Fairbairn Who, of course, would go on to produce Psycho Circus <clears throat> Moving on Um, Aerosmith recorded Pump, and, uh, this is the only Aerosmith album to date to have three top ten singles in the Billboard Hot 100 and three number one singles in the mainstream rock tracks chart. Wow. This album went seven times platinum. Wow. Went to the number five on the Billboard Top 200 chart. I mean, it just massively big album. Most important fact for me, being a Kiss fan, was the the photography for the album was by Norman Seif, who did the Hotter Than Hell album cover. Oh,
2: wow. Yeah. Strange, all them years later, that yeah. man's still in business. I know that's cool. So, um,
1: but yeah, this there's a lot of good track. Of course, there's a lot of love in an elevator. Janie's got a gun. Yeah. You've heard them a billion times. Oh my goodness! And they I always call those kind of new Aerosmith for right. songs. But I wanted to sound pick something off the album that had an old school Aerosmith. What's sound. The, What's
2: the divide on that? Where did old Aerosmith become new Aerosmith? Well, old Aerosmith died with a gunshot wound. Right about the time that Janie got a gun.
1: Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) But before before Aerosmith died, they put out this song here. Never heard that. That song is fine. F I N E.
2: That's right, and you know it's kind of that a song like that kind of harkens back to earlier Aerosmith yeah, stuff. it's the old you school
1: know? sound. If you don't Errol know Smith. what uh, F I N E stands for, it stands for fucked up,
2: insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Okay. Yeah. That sounds about like something Aerosmith would be writing a song about. Maybe
1: they're writing about Jaja. <laughs>
2: <laughs> in '89, anything is possible. It's possible. But yeah, I, lo- I love that song. That's a good She's one. got the Cracker Jack
1: and All I Want's the Prize.
2: Yeah. Some Steven Tyler. Good classic Aerosmith lyrics there. You know, they the damn Aerosmith, they, they just stick it in your face every once in a while. Like, we can still rock We can like still we do it. To, Listen to this. Well, we choose not to. There's do.
1: also a song on there, Lord of the Flies, or Lord of the Thighs. Yeah. It's really awesome. That's
2: a good song. I like that yeah okay so what we got next this is a good one man you chose this and i'm proud of you oh, for yeah. doing it i love this band
1: yeah and i you know going through uh my uh crack research that i go through on wikipedia i uh <laughs> this album wasn't listed and i started digging more through other lists and stuff and remembered oh yeah shotgun messiah put out an album in 1989 yeah and i you know i hadn't thought about that in a while and uh if you don't know who they are they're a band from sweden they were originally called Kingpin. That's right. And their album was actually called Bop City. The uh, They read the uh, Kingpin album. That's right. And um, I love the names of the band members. You had Zinny J. Zan, Harry K. Cody, Tim Tim, or Tim Skold. Right. And the greatest drummer name of all time, Sticks Galore.
2: Sticks Galore. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> There's yeah, that-
1: nothing more late 80s than the name Sticks Galore.
2: Yeah, this one was back when Zinny was still singing lead and uh, yeah. before... Uh, Tim Skold would take over lead vocals, okay. which I prefer that. Yeah. But,
1: but this is still a pretty cool, cool little introduction to Shotgun Messiah released on September 12th. This is Bop City.
2: Not when it came out. Not Did at not? the time, man. No, it took me a little while to get into Shotgun Messiah. It was the the second album, Second Coming, that I got into them.
1: They had a video for, for, I think a song called Shout It Out that was yeah. on this album. And I do remember when that video was out. It, like, Headbanger's Ball would play it at, like, 2 in the morning or something.
2: Right. Yeah, you would see it. It's kind of weird looking at this list of albums and bands that we've been talking about and how eclectic this is in 89, you know, and, and most people are thinking, like, 89 you know the the hair bands or the right. glam rock or whatever was the king and and in a lot of cases that is true but there's a lot of different types of rock bands yeah. coming out with music in '89 I, and it's cool to delve into that and see yeah. the difference.
1: I remember seeing Tim Scold in the video and thinking that's a white dude with dreadlocks. It was like the <laughs> strangest thing
2: I'd ever seen. Yeah, he had some crazy hair back. Then, he did. That's for sure. And he would.
1: You know, if you don't know, he went on to play with Marilyn Manson for yeah. a long time too. And that uh, was strange to see someone make the leap from glam rock into the industrials. Right.
2: Stuff. I like Tim Skolden. He is hella talented, he's done all kinds of different mm-hmm. stuff.
1: Yeah so uh october we I guess this is the biggest news story of the year I would for say America at least.
2: yeah, definitely in the United States, the biggest news story t- of course, talking about the October seventeenth San Francisco area earthquake that measured a seven point one in magnitude, it killed sixty seven people injured over three thousand over one hundred thousand buildings damaged or destroyed. I remember seeing the footage of the bridges flipped over and the yep. cars thrown all over the place and yep. man what a horrific scene and that made me say I'm never moving to California.
1: <laughs> well and then I the um World Series was going on at the time like and I was a I was a I was a Jose Canseco fan. I wasn't really an A's fan but I pulled for the A's cuz he was my favorite player. Yeah, cuz he's was,
2: such a cool stand-up guy.
1: Yeah totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. Great role model. Um it was A's against the Giants. So it was a it was a Bay Area World Series. Yeah. And I remember watching it and all of a sudden you know all the cameras start cutting out and you hear go oh we're having an earthquake and it was yeah, it was wild watching hey. it live. I remember I'll never forget that. But, yeah.
2: Yeah, scary stuff, scary man. Scary day. Um, that was the day Michael Wagner decided he was going to move to Nashville. Probably was. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they now we're up to the moment that
1: a lot of us have been waiting for. Yeah, man, for.
2: 1989 was awesome for Kiss fans because we had two big albums that came out that year in the in the Kiss sphere. Yeah, we did. And um,
1: Kiss released Hot in the Shade on uh, October 17th. A day that I remember, clearly, because this is the first kiss out I my bought brand new the day of release. Yeah?
2: Were you at the mall waiting yes. for the gates to open up to I run was, in and grab it? I was, I too. I was at
1: Sam Goody waiting for them to open. You I re- bet. I still remember it's that why. Camelot music. I remember what, what, waiting for it to open. I remember the clerk laughing at me when I told him <laughs> I was there before. He's like, he didn't have to get here right away. <laughs> He's like, there's plenty of copies to go around, I promise.
2: I'm sure. Back yeah. then, yeah, they really stocked it because buying albums and being there to get the albums the day of the sales, that was a big thing, man. That was important. It was. We're kind of lucky to have grown up when we did to be able to experience stuff like that. Yeah,
1: I feel bad for my kids that don't get to do that. I do, too. Know. I really do. I have good memories of that and camping out for tickets and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, it was fun times. And, you know, there's the those of you that are Hardcore Kiss fans, you know all about this album. Some people think it's too long. My, I'm always of the opinion you can hit the skip button. There's, I'd rather have more kiss than less kiss. Right. But um, it's an interesting album. It's a it's an eclectic mix. A lot of the a lot of it is demos that they just polished up and released. Right. Because um, you know the band was honestly hurting for money at this period. And Eric Carr started having his rift with the band because they used drum machines on some of the songs. Yeah. But I think that lame. goes back to it being demos. I think they were originally going to be demos, and then they decided not to re- not lay everything s- on the tape. Because
2: back then it costs a lot of money to get studio time. Right. So the cheaper the better. You know, if you're just going to polish up some demos, you know, you're not well, going to bring the drummer in. But I just don't, I can't agree with it.
1: Well, and it was recorded at a place called The Fortress in Hollywood. And I remember we talked with to Toby Wright about this. Not that he didn't work on the album, but. He was taken aback a bit by when we told him that because he's like, well, the fortress was nothing but a little dinky demo studio. Yeah, and like you, you, it most was more of a rehearsal space than anything else. So that's why it was considered recorded there because it was probably just demoed there, right? And they just polished it up. Nonetheless, there's some pretty good gems well, on this. Album. Forever was a massive hit, right? And it, it brought them back into the into the limelight again. For that was bit.
2: Kiss going again, you know, like kind of like we said with Alice Cooper being able to. Acclimate yourself to what was huge at the time. You know, what's Bon Jovi doing? Well, Bon Jovi's releasing Sweet Love Ballads, you know, just right. like all these other bands. They're getting their their uh, prime time MTV airplay, and Kiss is going to get a piece of that, and they definitely do with Forever.
1: And Paul, you know, Paul had Hide Your Heart also. And yeah. um, so, you know, it was a lot of Paul heavy stuff that got all the attention, but. That was the time. Gene had some yeah. decent stuff on here, and this is a track yeah. that Gene wrote with Vinny Poncia. Remember him? I remember him. Produced Dynasty and Un- Unmasked Peter Chris and Peter Soldier. This is a song called Somewhere Between Heaven and Hell. so european but it'll do <laughs>
2: <laughs> some hell awesome guitar playing by bruce Kulick on that yeah. album
1: i always thought that was kind probably of an some, overlooked track
2: probably some good like, bass playing by him too i would guess yeah maybe <laughs> <laughs> being the times that it was for kiss
1: i always thought that song and uh, loves like a slap in the face
2: yeah pretty good tunes yeah there's some good songs on that one maybe not on the the level of kiss albums that you'd rank from the best to worst i don't know where that one probably wouldn't end up well, on the top half, but, you know, it's better than a lot.
1: It'll rank high for me because, of, like I said, it meant a lot to me at the time. At the time, so like, yeah. I, I, I listened to you. it hundreds of times in a row when it came out. Yeah, you
2: know? I remember my cousin uh, Rhonda went to see Kiss live on that tour with me the Sphinx and all that. And I couldn't go. My parents still thought I was too young at that time. So, but she brought me back the T-shirt, the white yeah. T-shirt. And I was just I wore it like every day almost. I
1: could do a whole bonus track on the show. Yeah, yeah that I'm was sure we a, we probably could and should. Awesome, awesome concert.
2: Awesome, great kiss '89. Gotta love it.
1: Yeah. All right, so what do we got next?
2: Uh, let's see. Uh, you got Oh, some... yeah, the,
1: the biggest news story of the year. I'm so
2: hungry.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I did have a segue set up. I didn't even know it. October 30th, um, Smith Dairy in Orville, Ohio, makes the world's largest milkshake, 1,575 gallons.
2: Wow. You got some sort of endorsement deal with Smith Dairy that I don't know about? No, I'm just thirsty. <laughs> I was thirsty when I made that <laughs> note nice like that sounds interesting that's a big
1: milkshake i guess so so okay one more song and then we got to go into the break um this was a and like i mentioned earlier i was really into all the guitar player stuff back at this period of time yeah Uh, and i was was,
2: plenty to choose from back then
1: there was a lot to choose from and uh one of the albums that came out that actually kind of broke through mainstream a bit was flying in a blue dream by joe satriani and um this was, uh, it went number 23 on the Billboard charts and was on there for 39 weeks. That's not bad for an instrumental album. Well, not I mean, bad he sings a number of tracks Does on he? it. Yeah, no, really. no. it was certified gold in 90. I mean, it's sold over 500,000 copies. Wow. That tells you kind of how big guitar playing... Really right. was at that time.
2: Music was different back then. You know, these guys that are in these bands that we're talking about are all pretty much virtuosos at their instruments. Yeah. Like you know, you talk to a guy like Michael Wagner, and he'll tell you back then these guys practiced and practiced sure. and 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 drove and strove to be better guitar players than the next guy. It all started with Eddie Van Halen, you know, and Ace Frehley, and guys like that. You know, it's like we got to be better than these guys. Well, then we got to be better than these guys, and on and on. Yep. And in '89, all that guitar playing, you know, you see what bands are on top. Yeah. And they're all guitar-driven bands, yeah.
1: And Joe Satriani, man, he was a—I mean, he was a guitar teacher, and he—he's uh, taught a lot of famous guitar players. And he had a signature Ibanez version come out of his guitar,
3: yeah. And man,
1: that thing was fucking in demand. And I had a friend that had one, and it played beautifully. I bet. So this is uh, from "Flying in a Blue Dream," released on October 30th, 1989. This is Joe Satriani with Big Bad Moon, and we'll be right back.
0: with Frank Sinatra, Who's the Boss? I knew it! TV's best comedy, The Wonder Years, moves to its new night. Followed by this year's newest big hit, Roseanne, at her new time. Then a sneak preview about a super dad. Okay, dinner's gonna be ready in 9 to 11 minutes. Coach! A night of all new comedy with Who's the Boss? The Wonder Years. Roseanne and Craig T. Nelson in coach. Take your support of the show to the next level. Head over to decibelgeek.com and click on the Amazon link the next time you go shopping. A percentage of your purchase goes back into supporting the show. Not shopping? Click on the donate button and tip your DJs. It's Christmas at the good guys from Canon. A portable copier that's compact and lightweight for only $3.98 from Recorder a beeperless remote answering machine at a surprisingly low $39. This is the Sharp Wizard, a complete personal data management system for only $228. We're the good guys. We've got to be good.
2: All right, you're listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast as we explore the year of 1989, 25 years ago. We want to remind you, you know, we've played so many great bands today, you know, and it might be a little too late for your Christmas shopping, but you might want to have some good music to listen to on your New Year's Eve party. Make sure you check out the show notes because we always want to promote these bands because that's what it's all about here on the Decibel Geek Podcast. We want you to get out and support these artists, and by supporting these artists, you can actually support the show. You go to W www.decibelgeek.com Click on the shop Amazon link on the website. It's going to take you to Amazon. You're not going to pay anything extra than what you'd normally pay for whatever music or whatever it is you're buying because you don't have to it's not limited just to music. You can buy whatever you want to and when you do that Amazon is cool enough to give us a little kickback here at the show. Helps us keep the show free. Helps us pay some bills and keep the lights on and all that good stuff. And like I said always here at the Decibel Geek Podcast we're about promoting rock and roll music and we've played some good stuff here today we want you to get out there and purchase it and support these artists
1: yes and we have t-shirts also available yes we do go to the store link on uh, decibelgeek.com
2: you want to look cool at your new year's eve party you got to have a decibel geek t-shirt
1: it can only help
2: heck yeah so back to 1989 looking at some of the births and deaths of 89 okay
1: born in 1989 taylor swift daniel radcliffe and chris brown
2: I don't know who Daniel Radcliffe he is. He is Harry Potter.: Oh, okay, I, I'm all right with him. Chris <laughs> Brown, not a fan. Man, fuck that guy. <laughs> totally. Taylor Swift, I mean, not my cup of tea, but man, I've heard a lot worse. So you got a cool guitar player. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, deaths of 1989. we've got Mel Blank, who was the voice Bugs of Bugs Bunny. Bunny and so many others. Uh, Lucille Ball passes away in '89. We also lost Gilda Radner from Saturday Night Live. Man. man I love comedy her. Wasn't Yeah. It? Uh, Jim Backus, who played Thurston Howell III, yeah. lovey, on uh, Gilligan's Island. And uh, Vincent Crane, guitarist from uh, The Crazy World of Arthur Brown.
1: Okay, so that's what CW of AB <laughs> means. I was like, what the hell is that? Sorry, and inside a,
2: baseball. That's right. That's an abbreviation for my notes. Okay, there. I,
1: was, I was racking my brain going, what is that?
3: Okay. <laughs>
2: it's Vincent Crane. Well, he'll that guy soon. lost his mind and died in 89. I guess so. Yeah, so there's your births and deaths. Um, back to the music because we are in the home stretch here. I've got one man. I just we couldn't do '89 without this band. I, I love them a lot, you know. I do. We talk about them all the time, and I'm talking about Overkill. Now, this is their fourth studio album. It's widely considered to be Overkill's breakthrough album. You know, this is Overkill we're talking about. It is 1989, and their videos aren't getting played alongside "Pour Some Sugar on Me." I wonder why. (laughs) But they do get a little MTV airtime on Headbangers Ball. And you know, Eddie Trunk's playing elimination. Yeah, you got to love that overkill. That one will go up to 155 on the U.S. Billboard album charts. I mean, not bad for 89, you know, as far as a thrash metal band like that. Um, other big heavy albums, thrash metal bands released music in 89, including Sepultura. You played that in part yeah. one. Great song. Um, Except has got an album out that year, Annihilator. Dark Angel, Exodus comes out with Fabulous Disaster. That's a good album. Uh, Creators got album out that year. Metal Church, Blessing in Disguise. That's I almost a, played something from that. That's man. a good one. Obituaries got an album out. Uh, Sabotage, Testament yep. comes out with Practice What You Preach, and you get new music from another good heavy band, Suicidal Tendencies. In 1989, they come out with their fourth studio album. It's the first to feature the stellar bass talents of Robert Trujillo. Oh, Yeah. The full title of this album, controlled by hatred and feeling like shit, deja vu. Wikipedia tells it like this. The album itself is represented as two fictional EPs. The first four tracks are controlled by hatred and the rest are feel like shit. Deja vu. It features six new recordings, four of which, which are covers of No Mercy songs. One is a cover of a Lost Psychos and a outtake from the previous album sessions with a shortened version of How Will I Laugh Tomorrow as it's heard in the song's video and previously unreleased softer, heavy emotion version of that song. I don't know about any of that. Somebody was doing some good drugs. All I know is it kicks ass. That Robert Trujillo joins the band, and then the next this one and the next two albums go gold. Uh, Maybe not. Maybe maybe not. Uh, This one goes to 150 on the U.S. Billboard album charts. Not bad. Good heavy thrash rock from 1989.
1: I remember my parents shaking their head when they saw that I had a cassette tape from the name of the band. They're like,
2: really. Yeah, it's kind of a far name. I remember Suicidal Tendencies as being like in the ads in the back of like Metal Edge and, and Hit Parader and yeah. stuff in the T-shirts. And they'd have these crazy looking T-shirts and then the name Suicidal Tendencies. And I always thought, I don't know if I want to listen to a band called Suicidal <laughs> what Tendencies. <laughs> what is it going to do to me? Right. And then, and then you finally hear it and it's like, oh, man, this is an amazing album, amazing band. I wish I'd been listening to these guys all along.
1: It's the worst marketing technique in history. I know. It Have really... Your band caused their fans to kill themselves, therefore they can't buy any more albums.
2: <laughs> no repeat sales. Yeah,
1: no repeat sales. Yeah. All your fans are dead.
2: Tough name. Great band. Yeah. <laughs> Suicidal tendencies.
1: So uh move into December or actually November. November 11th, after 28 years, the Berlin Wall is open to the West. Mr. Was,
2: Gorbachev, teared down the wall. It was
1: a huge, huge news story.
2: Yeah, it was. I remember seeing that on the news where, you know, they got the people up on the wall and they're taking pieces of it as souvenirs. And, you know, it was it was a big thing, you know, that really kind of Put a close to the whole Cold War deal. You well, know?
1: It, you know, it's all thanks to David Hasselhoff, remember?
2: Totally. Totally yeah. David Hasselhoff. It's uh, the crossover appeal. The Germans love him, the Americans love him, mm-hmm. Russians love yep. him, everybody. Baywatch
1: premiered that year. Baywatch
2: premiered that year. Everybody loves David Hasselhoff in 1989. So
1: with all these political tensions going on now.
2: That's the, what's missing. The Hoff needs to come back. We have no Hoff nowadays. He's
1: sitting in his apartment drunk eating a cheeseburger.
2: Right, and he could be saving us from ISIS and the Taliban and everything else. Yeah, get kid
1: out of the garage and get your ass out of here. Yeah,
2: where's the Hoff when you need him? Don't hassle the Hoff. <laughs> All right. <laughs> back to big serious. No Mark St. John to ride shotgun.
1: <laughs> oh, man. He dug deep for that one. Okay. So I've got my last pick for the show. You've got the last couple um, in November. White Snake released "Slip of the Tongue," peaks at number ten on the Billboard charts. Uh, produced by Mike Clint, Mike Clink, and Keith Olsen. Uh, interesting story behind this album because people remember Adrian Vandenberg was a guitarist on the previous tour, right? And um, but prior to recording this album, Adrian Vandenberg sustained a serious wrist injury, and it made it impossible for him to play without being in a lot of pain. And after Coverdale had waited long enough for him to heal, he had no choice but to find a new guitar player, so enter Frank, uh, Frank Zappa's old guitar player, Steve Vai, and David Lee Roth's old guitar player. Yeah. And um, the reason he chose Steve Vai was he, uh, he wasn't familiar with his work with Roth or Zappa, but he had seen the 86 movie Crossroads.
2: Oh, yeah. Where
1: Steve Vai plays the guitarist in hell that he goes up against Ralph Macchio.
2: Right. I thought, I thought Steve Vai was the devil in that.
1: No, no, it was a black guy, it was a
2: devil. Oh, okay. How Al sharp
1: right,
3: it. So this no, was Al <laughs> sharp.
2: Oh man. It's
1: gonna be protest for, for the for the podcast. Um, but now he was impressed with how Not Vi played in us. how Vi played in the movie and invited him to be in the in the band. That's cool. And um, Adrian Vandenberg has revealed in several interviews that he thinks Vi's playing was somewhat inappropriate. And then a more bluesy approach would have suited the album better. I honestly agree with him. Yeah, I like Steve; Vai. he's a great guitar player, but uh, I didn't think he was the best fit for White Snake.
2: No, I think he definitely fit better in with what David Lee Roth was sure, doing.
1: more out wacky. White Snake yeah. more of a blues-based band, but regardless of that, I think you'll hear a little bit of a classic '70s band um, influence on this. It would also help David Coverdale go on to a new project a couple years down the road. Yeah, I was gonna say, and then Jimmy Page listens to the album and goes, hmm,
2: I'd like to tour with that guy. Yeah, that's that's pretty good stuff right there. I, I like that. I'm surprised Whitesnake was even able to put out an album that year, considering that, you know, lead singer is a little busy with his new bride. I know I Certainly I'd be would be <laughs> rolling around on cars and stuff. Ain't got no time for making a new album. Yeah. But good stuff from Whitesnake. Uh, coming down to the end of it. Now, if you're a band that was in Los Angeles in the late 80s, there's really actually a pretty easy, easy formula to follow in order to make yourself a lot of cash. You come out with an album. It's got to have two or three nice songs for the ladies. Of course. The rest of the album's got to be hard rock songs about chicks for the dudes. And Warrant followed that formula to a
0: tee.
1: I think Janie Lane had some cheap trick in his collection.
2: Yeah, for sure. Some cheap tricks, some queen, a they little can, bit. I hear some a of ton of cheap trick in that. But. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, great plane, Janie Lane freaking rocks. You know, this is kind of, you know, you compare it to like Enough's Enough where, you know, Warrant was ready-made for this. Right. You know, these guys were ready-made to make billions and billions of dollars where, you know, these guys musically and image-wise were acclimated totally to what was going on at the time. Enough's Enough, you know, image-wise, yeah, they had the look, you know, we've kind of forced on them musically. They didn't really sound like that kind of stuff You know, mm. Cheap Trick You know, influenced both these bands But in different ways, you know And, right. and Janie Lane and, and Warren I mean, this one goes to number 10 On the U.S. Billboard album charts It goes double platinum The singles off it, Down Boys, goes 27 Sometimes She Cries to 20 And Heaven, that's like the quintessential You know, 80s love ballad Heaven goes number 2 And, you know, normally right about here I'd say, you know, this is the highest selling album This band ever come out with Uh uh-uh, Warrant would go on to reach even higher heights in 1990 with the release of Cherry Pie. So as huge as the debut is, and it's funny to think 1990, Warrant's at their peak. Right, That just shows, you know, that this band was something a little more special than they get credit for, I think.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Before you get to your playout song, I wanted to mention one important news story. Um, December 21st, Vice President Dan Quayle sends out 30,000 Christmas cards with the word
2: Beacon spelled B E K O B E A K O N. Wow. That that <sighs> guy, man. That that guy he had trouble spelling, you yeah. know, he just he had it rough all the way around you know it makes you wonder you know you look at some of these presidents over the years do they do they have vice presidents as kind of like an insurance policy against assassination
1: i think so like, like god forbid you know, joe biden becomes our president
2: right you know or somebody like like quail or somebody like yeah. that you know it's like we can't kill bush because then Quayle will become the president and then we're, we're really screwed, screwed yeah. so we might as well just ride out this whole bush thing
1: yeah i know a lot of comedians were really sad to see him leave office because he, <laughs> he was an endless supply of material yeah he was yeah. Man. So, uh but Funny yeah that, stuff that's all i've quill. got other than um there was a couple of also ran song uh bands the ones that i the that almost made my last sabotage from gutter ballet red hot chili peppers mother's milk you heard that in the intro yeah. aaron had that picked also yeah it works out S- the Soundgarden garden released louder than love uh, annihilator alice in hell loudness had soldier of fortune and the screaming trees released buzz factory those wow. were all ones that almost made my list
2: okay cool um before we wrap things up here today i want to remind everybody go to w- uh, www.decibelgeek.com that's where you go through the link to amazon we talked about that already that's where you're going to get your t-shirts the link to that's there awesome uh check us out on facebook you want to become a part of the community you want to get in on the conversation hey 1989 was a year that was voted on by the listeners and we decided to take that on because you know what you want it you got it that's how it works yeah we'll do it
1: this way again next time
2: get in on the conversation join in the fun on facebook we're on instagram we're on twitter we're Mm -hmm. on youtube we're We are all over the place, you know, and we just got to take a minute to thank everybody that's come along on this ride with us. You know, we don't do these year and reviews very often because there's a lot of work involved in it, and we've become pretty busy guys around here lately, making sure that you guys got quality content to to download every single Monday or Tuesday. (laughs) <laughs> depending on how close to the holidays it is. Hey,
1: we didn't take any weeks off during the holidays.
2: No, we didn't. we never take a week off. We're always here for you, so keep supporting us. Um, I think the best way to wrap up the show before we get out of here, I got one last pick, but the American Music Awards. You want to get a good view on what music's happening in 1989, take a look at the AMAs that take place in January 1990. It's basically a look back at the year at what the biggest things going on were. And uh, the cool thing about it was Alice Cooper was one of the hosts on it. Cool. So he, he made a special appearance on it. Here's, you know, and we always say it at the end of these episodes, we've talked about some amazing bands and amazing albums that came out, but it wasn't all good music in 89 either. No. You know, so looking at the AMAs, the big winners from that year were the new kids on the block, Bobby Brown, Paula Abdul. Man, she was foxy back then.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Janet Jackson, Luther Vandross, Randy Travis, Reba McIntyre, MC Hammer, his son. Young MC, that was a good moment, those two winning awards <laughs> together that night.
1: about his son.
2: Uh, Tone Loke with the Funky Cole Medina and Millie Vanilli we know how that all ended up so those were the biggest winners from the American Music Awards for 1989 You know, that's those guys pretty much sum up what was wrong with music that year
1: <laughs> yeah I, I remember all that stuff
2: yeah I can tolerate Tone Loke with I not, tap my foot to a few of them not too much more than the rest of it yeah. um, but however in the AMAs they also had some hard rock and heavy metal awards so the favorite heavy metal hard rock new artists of the year the nominees were warrant winger and skid row and skid row won that year so the skid row's you know that's pretty good uh favorite heavy metal hard rock album of the year this is where it's kind of funny because the nominees are appetite for destruction skid row's debut album and dr feelgood by motley Crue. now appetite for destruction out a few years it's been out a few years, yeah, it? a few years like but remember years? but you got to remember it's taken a while for appetite for destruction to really take off yeah so it wasn't really until 89 that that appetite was huge i mean it started in 88 it was released in 87 started getting 88 when welcome was released. and by 89 appetite yeah. was huge
1: because that's when sweet child of mine came out that's right yeah.
2: and that is why uh guns N' roses appetite for destruction wins Hard Rock, Heavy Metal Album of the Year at the American Music Awards. And finally, in the big metal category, the Artist of the Year, the nominees are Aerosmith, Guns N' Roses, and Motley Crue. And Guns N' Roses takes the award at the American Music Awards. So Guns N' Roses, of course, Def Leppard is huge at this time because their hysteria is running crazy, Bon Jovi, Aerosmith. You know, we've pretty much covered the gamut as we've run down it. And, you know, talking about favorite albums... Man, the one I was really looking forward the most to in 1989, without a doubt, was the return of Ace Frehley. That's right. This is the Spaceman's third post-Kiss album. I'm talking about Trouble Walking. And, you know, between you and me, I think this is the one where Ace Frehley really kind of found his footing as a solo artist. You know? The Frehley's comic stuff was always kind of hit and miss. You know, he had some really good stuff, had some kind of not-so-good stuff on it. (laughs) But trouble walking to me was a complete Ace Fraley it's album. a good album, really good album. I mean, you got to look at it. you know the, the lineup is killer. They got Ace got amazing players, some really great songs on it. Lots of cool guests like uh, Skid Row and Catman's on there. Peter Chris yep. makes an appearance doing some background vocals. And man, Ace Fraley wails on this album. It's a good one all the way through. I mean, I looked forward to this so much in '89, and when it finally came out, I was not yeah. disappointed.
1: Yeah, I do remember the video for "Do You" actually got pretty good amount of play on MTV. Yeah, it's a great cover. Yeah, it is. Ace really picks out some. I actually good ones prefer sometimes. his cover to the original.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. most definitely. Oh yeah, he blows the yellow out of the water.
1: Cool. So I
2: guess, actually uh, talk about covers on that album. I prefer the Ace Braley version over the uh, Kiss talking about "Hide Your Heart."
1: yeah it's looser yeah, yeah it is it's yeah.
2: looser raw. i like it a lot it's a you better know? solo too yeah so there you have it that's side, uh, 1989 year in review we're gonna go on out with the space ace yeah sounds good and then we'll be back next week to let you know what our picks what is the decibel geek album of the year
1: oh i'm sure we'll
2: be split you're gonna find out next <laughs> week so till then see ya see ya